The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you so much for singing. I, I, uh, it is humid outside, and it is humid in here. And even though it is humid, I still got the goosebumps. And, and as voices fill the room singing these words, I mean, what a joy, what a privilege we get to, we get to do this. Um, good morning, by the way. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Uh, we're going to be in Luke. If you're new with us, we have been walking ever so slowly through the book of Luke, and we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. Um, and if you're here, and, and by the way, and you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one around you looking something like this, either black or blue. I want to invite you to grab it, use it. Uh, we're on page 863, if that's helpful. Um, but if you're here and you don't own a Bible, it would be our great joy as a church to give you one. Uh, we've been able to give away cases, and we love this. And so if you're here, you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, you do now. Grab one, take it with you, no strings, don't even let us know. Just, you don't have to sign anything, just go, all right? It's yours, it's our joy as a church uh, to get to do this. Uh, but we are going to pick up, like I said, right where we left off last week, and what we've seen in Luke is, is we spent some time looking at Jesus' teachings. We're now moving into this section where we're going to see a lot of miraculous stories. And our story this morning is incredible. It is uh, miraculous. As we get to it, any good story, any good book, novel, any good movie, uh, any, as you engage any narrative... We are naturally going to relate to, see ourselves in the perspective of one of the characters or a couple. We're going to naturally kind of, any good story is going to do this, by the way, but we're going to naturally want to put ourselves in the shoes of someone in the story. We're going to naturally start to feel sympathy for them. We're going to root for them. We're going to see ourselves in them. At the same time, we're probably going to root against others. It's the power of a good story. It pulls us in. It's the power of any good story. Uh, here's the reality, though. The, each perspective that we take on a story, each, each angle, each character that we relate to will bring to light different things about the story will highlight different aspects. In, in other words, the, your perspective of the story will greatly depends on whose eyes you're seeing it through. So this morning, we're gonna do something I don't think I've ever done before, uh, something a little fun. We are gonna look at a story and we are going to look at it through the eyes of four different people from this story. We're going to... Uh, Put, uh, we're going we're gonna to walk this story in the shoes of four different characters, or sandals, to be more contextually accurate here. Um, and in each case, as we do this, there is, 
a profound, we're gonna see something profound. There is a gospel implication that is just absolutely profound as we're going to do this and it's all gonna hopefully come together. Like I said, I've never done this before, so we're gonna have some fun this morning, all right? Um, Honestly, I am very excited about this because the gospel has just come alive in my study as I've walked through this incredible story. So let's jump in and let's start with our first story, our first perspective the first uh, pair of sandals. We're gonna start with the obvious one. We're gonna start with Jesus. It's a good one to start with, right? Amen? We're gonna start with Jesus this morning. Uh, so let's read this uh, together. We're gonna be in, start in verse 11 of chapter seven. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain. Now just FYI, Nain is a small town right outside of Capernaum. And Capernaum is where we saw Uh, everything take place last week. Well, Jesus has kind of journeyed out and he's coming up to this small town. This is the only place it's referenced in scripture. This is likely the only time that Jesus stepped foot in this small town, but incredible things happen in this small town. Um, This is Nain. He he, uh, comes to a town called Nain, his disciples and a great crowd with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Just for some context here, in this time, a dead body was was unclean. Uh, Unclean, was seen as unclean. So typically, very soon after a person had died, Uh, they would do all of the arrangements, there would be a ceremony, and they would then soon after remove them from the city. They would take them outside the city gates because again, the body was seen to be unclean. So when Jesus approaches this town and he sees this body being brought out of the town, he sees the mourning mother, sees the crowds that are accompanying her as they leave this, this, or as they come into the city. Um, Jesus would have known what was happening. This, this death would have been uh, recent. And we know that this was a young man that had died. And not only was he a young man, he was the only son of his mother, a mother who had also lost her husband. And so Jesus approaches, he's got crowds with him. And as he approaches, this mother, this morning, morning mother has crowds following her. It was a bit of a funeral procession. And it's a heavy scene. I want us to feel that. This is a heavy moment that Jesus is walking, walking up to. It's a heavy scene. And here's what happens next. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the, the buyer. So a buyer, just another fancy word for coffin, all right? Um, if your translation says coffin, That's because that's what it is. So here Jesus walks up to that coffin. He's overwhelmed with compassion. And he sees the, the mourning widow and he comforts her with these words. Do not weep. Then he walks up to the coffin. The crowds following Jesus, all eyes have to be on Jesus. Like, what are you doing? Right? The crowds that were following the morning mother, all eyes have to be on Jesus. What are you doing? 
walks up, do not weep. Then he walks to the coffin, center of the focus. All eyes are on Jesus in this moment. He's the center of the attention, and he touches the coffin. He has compassion on her. He says, do not weep. Then he touches the coffin. Verse 14, and the bearers stood still. Stood still, no doubt, with a crowd standing still as well. And then Jesus says, just take this in. Young man, I say to you, arise. Let's read that again. Young man, I say to you, Arise, and let me just say something profound this morning. Dead people are not great listeners, all right? Not great listeners. They don't typically respond well to verbal commands unless those verbal commands come from Jesus Christ, the one with all authority, the one who calms the storms, calms the seas, heals, teaches with all the authority as the centurion that we looked at last week says, don't even come to my house, I'm not worthy, just say the word. Just speak, just speak, just say the word. Here in a moment, or here in this moment, the, the, Jesus is in the presence of these crowds, in the presence of this mourning widow touching the coffin, and he says the word, young man, I, that's Jesus Christ, the God man, the one with all authority, say to you, Arise. When Jesus speaks, his authority is seen because even the dead hear his voice. Even the dead respond to his voice. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and he began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. What a moment. What a moment. I, I said this last week. There are certain moments in scripture that I read and I think, I wish I was there. Wish I was there for that one. I wish I was there. This is one of those moments again. Verse 16 says, fear seized them as it should have. That's probably a common response. We'll get to that later. And they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Yes, he has. Verse 17, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Listen, as we look through this first vantage point, as we look at Jesus, I want us to see the authority of Jesus that's on display here. The authority, there is only one who has the authority like that. There is only one who can, by his very word, speak life into dead things. There is only one who dead men listen to. There is only one who dead men obey. There's only one who has this kind of authority. Uh, church, it, here's what we need to see here today before we move into the next set of sandals. Not only did, the, did Jesus have the authority back then to do that, not only is that true, please understand that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is still in control, and he still has that authority. Jesus said, all authority has, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, not most, all, not some, all, all authority. And so churches, we look at this, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever your past has looked like that has brought you to this moment, I'll push that further, whatever tomorrow brings, whatever you face, all authority 
be to Jesus Christ. All authority. Your Savior possesses all authority, and through his very word, dead men sit up and start to speak. Let that fact never become mundane to us. Let that fact encourage your faith this morning. Stir your affection for Jesus. This is Jesus, and all authority is his. Now, let's back up. And let's look at our second vantage point this morning. I want us to put ourselves in the place of, imagine with me, putting yourself in the place of the crowd. Would you just imagine, put yourself in their places. You're, um, maybe you're following Jesus from city to city. You're wondering what on earth is going on. I mean, this guy seems special. He seems to teach with this authority. What is going on here? Maybe you're a part of the town and you're following this mourning widow and you're supporting her and you're weeping with her. Maybe you're just walking with her. You're walking out of this town. And you're a part of this great scene. Just imagine you're in this crowd. Imagine you're in this crowd when you hear Jesus speak to the woman. Don't cry. Do not weep. Imagine you watch him walk up to a coffin and touch it. Imagine as you see all the bearers stop in their tracks. And imagine as you hear the words come out of Jesus' mouth saying, young man, I say to you, arise. And you think, can he say what? Imagine you're there. Imagine you're in this place. And imagine if it is even possible. It probably isn't possible, but let's try. Imagine with me as the young man then rises up and begins to speak. You push it forward a little bit. Imagine as you witness the sheer joy of that mother who went from the depths of loss and despair to now hearing, seeing, holding her son once again. Imagine as you witness that. What is running through your mind in a moment like that? What goes through your mind as you witness the authority and compassion of Jesus on display like this? What in the world goes through your mind? Well, for them, we see in verse 16, it says, fear sees them. That's an understatement. I've been through, I've been to several funerals. And if I ever witness something like this, fear is an understatement of what I'm going to be feeling in that moment. They just witnessed this. They were seized by this all-inspired, reverent fear. Fear seized them all. Here's what they did. Here's what they did. As they saw that, as fear seized them, gripped them, here's what they did. They glorified God, meaning they gave glory, they gave honor to him. They ascribed credit to whom credit is due. They made much of, they praised God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and I love this. God has visited his people. They're just trying to sum up what they just witnessed. They're just trying to wrap their minds around this. They didn't know fully who Jesus was. 
They didn't, but here's what was clear to them. That was divine. That was supernatural intervention of God himself. That's what that was. There's no other, no other explanation. This was an act of God. In other words, through this moment, all of their eyes, as they witnessed Jesus, all of their eyes were drawn up. All of their eyes were drawn up. They, were, they glorified God, and they made this beautiful statement, God has visited his people. Church, as we place ourselves in these shoes and we see Jesus' works on display, we see his authority on display, let our response be just like theirs. Worship. Looking up, glorifying him, giving him all credit, and then we say boldly, God has indeed visited his people. I'm reminded of John 1. You don't have to turn with me there unless you want to. Uh, John 1 says he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I love this, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Church, God has indeed visited his people. The crowd saw Jesus. They recognized the fact that they, as they saw Jesus, they saw God incarnate. God visiting his people. Church, like the crowd, when we see Jesus, and we interact with his teachings, and we see his authority, when we see his works, when we see him, we see God. We, to know Christ is to know God. Christ is the God man, the way, the truth, the life. In church, like the crowd, when we see Christ, our natural response is going to be to look up, to worship, to glorify him. And don't miss this. I love verse 17, because it doesn't just stop there. Verse 17 says, and this report about him spread. I'm gonna add, like wildfire. It's not in there, but my translation. Through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So they glorified God, but it couldn't just stay there. It couldn't. I mean, how can you encounter Jesus? How can you witness this and not share it? I just saw a dead man hear his voice, obey him, get up, and he's not dead anymore. How can you witness that, see that, and not? You can't help but share it. When you see the lost found, dead being raised, broken being restored, when we encounter the authority of Christ, how can we hold that back? We have the greatest news to ever have, to ever be known. And if you know it, if you believe it, how can you not share it as this crowd did? As we place ourselves in the shoes, the sandals of the crowd, um, we are able to see the response that we should have to Christ. And here's the response, just like the crowd. They glorified him and they shared his message with everyone. 
So churches, we see him on display as we see his authority, we glorify him, and we share his message with everyone. That's the crowd. Now, let's pull back, and let's consider our next character this morning. I want us to consider the mother. As best as we can, would you try to place yourself in her shoes? Try to wrap your minds around the loss. This was her only son. As a parent, I cannot imagine losing a child. And for any who have had to endure that, the pain is beyond description. And this was this mother. Mourning, deep grief doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. This is pain, and this is brokenness, and this is tears, and this was this mother. Beyond that, this mother was a widow. And this would have been even more bleak back then than it even would be today. In this society, this would have placed this woman in an extremely difficult and an extremely vulnerable position. She wouldn't have property rights without a son or a husband. She'd have no long-term economic security. This woman not only had to lose and experience and deal with such an incredible loss, but her very future was called into question, and this woman would have been incredibly vulnerable. By the way, church, this is why Scripture speaks so often and so clearly about God's heart for the widow and the orphan. Because they're vulnerable in the society, and this was this mother. What pain she must have been enduring. What grief, what uncertainty. Her son was dead, and she was coming to terms with his death at the same time as realizing that her future, her entire future is now uncertain. This is such an, a painful scene, and this was this mother. And so let those words that we read resonate even louder. When Jesus walks up and our text just simply says, he sees her. <laughs> she is seen by Jesus. Praise God that Jesus sees her. Praise God that Jesus sees hurting people. So we put Put yourself in her shoes as much as you can. You see Jesus coming to you in your moment of deepest and darkest need. He looks at you and then listen to this. The Lord saw her and he had compassion on her. Jesus had compassion. His heart broke for this mother. He felt her pain. He understood her. He stepped in. Church, our Jesus is a compassionate savior. As we place ourselves in the shoes of this mother, we are able to know and we are able to see the compassion of our God on display. We are able to know and we are able to see the truth of Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our God is not removed. Our God is not distant. If you are hurting this morning, if you are broken this morning, our God is not a God unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. No, church, in the shoes of the woman, we know and understand that Jesus looks at his people with compassion, sympathizing with you in your weakness not removed or distant, but in your life, present. He loves you, has compassion on you. And because of that, church, we now get to draw near to the throne with confidence, knowing that we are going to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, in the shoes of Jesus, we see Jesus' perfect authority on display. His authority over all things as the son of God. Uh, In the shoes of the crowd, we see a gospel response, a response of worship and a response to go and share the good news that you just witnessed, to tell everyone who will listen and to watch the news spread. In the shoes of the woman, we see the great, undescribable compassion that Jesus has to you. He cares deeply for you. He is a sympathetic high priest And he sees you. But church, there's one more vantage point I want us to consider. This morning, um, lastly, would you consider the dead young men? Now, he's probably not the first character that you related to in this story. I would worry about you if uh, that were the case. I get that. But let's consider him for a moment. Let's consider the dead man. You are dead. You can do nothing to make yourself less dead. You can do nothing to make yourself breathe. You can do nothing to make blood again pump. You can do nothing to sit up. You are dead. You are fully dead. You are completely dead. You are as dead as a dead thing could ever be. Jesus approaches and he touches your coffin. And he speaks, young man, I say to you, arise. Young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus speaks directly to you. And in this moment, Breath comes back into your lungs. Your heart starts to beat. Blood starts to flow. Your brain reboots. And you, dead man, become alive. Now I know, again, the dead man's probably not the first guy. He said, yep, I see it. I'm there with him. I I relate to you. But as crazy as this sounds, for a moment, can we just acknowledge how much you and I share in common with this dead man? In fact, I would put before you that he is the most relatable character for all of us. Ephesians 2, 
I couldn't help but go here. Ephesians 2. Listen to this. You were dead. Let me read it again. You were dead. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the, of the power of the air in the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And you were dead. Paul says, and you were dead. Coffin dead. Pallbearer dead. Funeral dead. As dead as dead can be. You were dead. This was you. This was your condition. This is you apart from Jesus Christ. And again, as profound as this statement is, dead things don't try real hard to be not dead. Dead things don't work really hard to be less dead. They don't work real hard to move in the right direction toward being less dead. No, dead things are dead. Dead things are completely dead, and you were dead. You were the dead young man. Apart from Christ, you are the dead young man. But oh, the joy... Oh, the joy of verse four. Verse four says, but God. Praise God for but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Young man, I say to you, arise. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing because again, dead things don't do things to not be dead things. No, it is a gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were dead, but God. You were dead, but God made us alive. So let's just trace this back. You were dead, but God has come. He's visited his people. He looked at you, and he had compassion on you. He looked at you and then spoke the words, I say to you, arise. Now I'm gonna put before you that that, is, that just sums up the gospel. The gospel can be summed up in those words. Let me say it again. Here's the gospel. You were dead, but God has come. He has visited his people. He looks at you, had compassion on you, and spoke the words over you, saying, I say to you, arise. That, church, is the beauty of the gospel we see. We get to be ambassadors of that message. Regardless of what's going on in your life, whatever is going on in our world, in our country, that message is good. 
That message is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has all authority, that Jesus has all compassion, that Jesus speaks and dead things raise. As a former dead thing, I am grateful. And our response, church, just as the crowds, is to glorify God, to ascribe all credit where credit is due, and to spread that news across our communities and across our circles, to spread the good news to, to every person who has ears to hear, and not all of them do, but to everyone who does, let them hear it from us. As we close, I wanna ask you, have you been made alive? Have you been made alive in Christ? Can you relate to the dead man this morning? Do you know the compassion of Christ? Do you know, do you trust the authority, the power of Christ to transform you from death to life? And hear me, I, I'm not only talking about spiritually, that we who are spiritually dead become spiritually alive in Christ Praise God for that fact, by the way. But church, do you trust that one day we will be resurrected? Amen. Just as Christ was bodily, physically, just like the young man was, that one day, do you trust that Jesus will say, arise, arise, and the dead in Christ will rise. Breath will fill our lungs. Blood will pump through our veins. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you trust that we will rise? In church, if you believe that, since you believe that, have you told anyone about that? Have you ever told anyone about that? Like the crowd, have you taken the message, what you have seen, what you have experienced, have you taken that message and shared it with your neighbors? Are you willing to share it with your world? Has the word of Christ, has the fame of Christ spread in your circles? As I said, this story in Luke 7, 11 through 16 has profound gospel implications. So what I'd like to do as we close is I'd like for us to just stop and pray together and ask that the Spirit would apply these gospel truths to our lives and to our hearts. Church, would you bow your heads with me? And let's come to him and let's ask that. You are God alone you are perfect, you are holy, you are righteous, and all authority is yours. By your very word, the world was created. You spoke all things into existence from nothing. All authority is in your word. Lord, you are kind. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are compassionate, and your heart breaks for the broken, the sick, the hurting. And through Christ, you sympathize with us in our weaknesses. God, you are not distant. You are here, and you have visited your people, and we are grateful for that. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Speaking and bringing life, you speak and dead things come to life. God, thank you for bringing me to life. 
Uh, thank you for bringing us to life. Now, Lord, we worship you. We glorify you. And because you are worthy, would you help us as we go from here to share your gospel boldly? You have equipped us and we will go. How can we keep from telling? Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we pray all of this in your holy, perfect name.